the theory and the science tells you that everything is black and white. But when you're working with humans, when you're working with people that are individuals, the science is there, but there's there's an art to coaching and training and getting people to be the best version of themselves. Welcome to the Barbed Podcast, where we talk to the smartest minds and the biggest personalities from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is proudly presented by Barbend.com. Today, we're talking to Dr. Anaja Newsom, PhD. She is a researcher, she is a lecturer. She is a PhD, as I said in her title, and she is also a weightlifter and weightlifting coach. So Anaja is someone who, or sorry, Dr. Anaja, I'm not used to having so many PhDs on the podcast lately. She is someone who combines clinical practice and research with real world experience as an athlete and coach in the gym. We talk about some of the ins and outs of weightlifting specifically, but one thing that I'm really happy we dive into in this recording is the growth of strength sports across different populations in the United States and abroad. Why is that happening and why are strength sports growing faster than ever over the last five years? We dive into that with someone who has perspective from the classroom, and the gym. Absolutely love talking to Dr. Newsom. She also has a podcast called Strength in the Details. Would highly encourage you to check that out. Let's get into this one. Anaja, thanks so much for joining me today. We were riffing a little bit on this before we started recording. And I always, I stopped guessing. I stopped guessing how people got into strength sports because I'm always wrong. So I would love it if you could take us through your athletic background and how in particular you got into strength as a sport, so to speak. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Thanks for having me on. I would say my first love has always been softball. That's Mm -hmm. where I got into sports. That's when I learned about being an athlete. That's where my competitive drive comes from. Um, and so I always have a love for for softball um, and in the the college world series and and watching and playing coaching. But I got into strength sports because I found the sport of CrossFit. And I got into uh, CrossFit. Uh, little known fact, it was because I was interested in a, in a guy that was taking classes. And so I thought it'd be cool to jump in the classes with him to kind of show him what I was all about. And uh, that was fun. But I realized, one, that I didn't really like the guy all that much. And I almost... I was going to ask what happened with that. I have to... I Like, if you're going to offer that up, I have to... This I have to ask. Yeah. That lasted like three weeks. Okay. <laughs> not only did I not like the guy in CrossFit class, I also did not like any of the cardio components of CrossFit. And so I found myself only showing up on the days that there was a heavy snatch, heavy clean and jerk or a squat involved. And someone was like, well, why don't you just do Olympic weightlifting? And I'm like, sign me up for that. Sign me up. That sounds great. So was that something that was immediately accessible? Because sometimes people say like, oh, you know, I'm interested in this part of CrossFit. Like I'm interested in just the power lifts or I'm interested in weightlifting or I'm interested in the odd objects. And they're all sports where people can go. I'm interested in the gymnastic component, right? They're all specific sports people can go into, but depending on where you live, what you have access to, you might not be able to 
go into that. I'm I'm spoiled. I live in New York, so we can kind of do whatever because there are millions and millions of people here. So did your gym have like a weightlifting club? Were you able to find a barbell club close by? Take us through that. No, actually, I had no idea that this was the sport in itself. I had no idea about the history of Olympic weightlifting and the the sport of in as a part of the Olympic Games. All I knew is that there were three classes that were held a week on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturdays, and I could just do Olympic weightlifting. I thought it was just kind of a, a sub subcategory of CrossFit, and so I got into it. I was terrible at it, and. But it was so much fun. It was a challenge for me. And and I, I take that back from my love of, of softball and sport in general. I was doing something that I was not good at. And that drove me to show up three days a week and try to get better at it. Unfortunately, I um, hurt my knee again. And I kind of take it, took a step back from Olympic weightlifting. It wasn't until I got to the state of Florida several years later where um, I was introduced to the sport of Olympic weightlifting in what I say is a more traditional format mm-hmm. with, for lack of better terms, trained coaches that could teach you the sport of. And that's when I was really reintroduced to the sport of weightlifting and not just weightlifting movements. I'm curious how this intersects, how this weightlifting journey uh, and your own journey of, of being an athlete and coach in, in, in physical culture intersects with your academic journey. Uh-huh. Uh, because you do I you you do have a doctorate. I should address you as Dr. Newsom if that's what you prefer. So <laughs> I'm I'm always curious like where for folks, for example, I had Dan uh, Dan Churchill on a few weeks ago for the second time. He's a chef and he's he calls himself a performance chef. And for him it's really tough to narrow down which came first, the love of nutrition or the love of athletics and being active and using nutrition to fuel that, right? He's like he's not really sure where where he can pinpoint where that came. But in your career, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if we can like figure out where those dovetail together. I would say that my love of sport definitely kind of drove me to the, the field of exercise and sports sciences. Um, it is what drove me into wanting to understand how the human body moved for the purposes of being the very best athlete I could be. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, I, I was intrigued by all of the things that our body is just naturally designed to do to help us be better athletes and to perform better. And so I got my undergrad and bachelor, uh, my bachelor's of science in um, exercise science studied nutrition and metabolism, went on to uh, to study leisure sciences. And then I took a break from school and I was working and coaching professionally as a career. And I was saying that I really enjoyed taking what I learned in the classroom, the theory, the science behind how the body is supposed to, to, to work, how the body is supposed to move. And then you get out in the real world. And this is what a lot of exercise science professionals will tell you what you learn in your textbook and what you see in real life are sometimes contradictory and what you learn about in the classroom about physical activity and the importance of exercise and then you get in the real world and it's like pulling teeth to get people to actually engage in regular exercise and stick with sports and so i think that while my love for sport drove my academic career, I would say that my academic career kept me involved in wanting to push the envelope in sport and what we can do. Let's talk about some of those contradictory elements. I'm, I'm really curious there. And I can I can tell the, the listeners can't see you, but I can tell you a few things queued up. I can see by the look on your face. What are some of those contradictions that you see as both 
an academician. Oh, I said that word correctly. I didn't know if I would get it all out. And as someone who's a practicing coach and athlete, where give me just maybe a few examples of the of that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'll start with this one. I got my PhD in exercise science and public health, which means that I study how the body works and how people change behaviors in order to do physical activity and exercise, which is a structured form of physical activity. And one of the things that got me into my PhD program is while I was in the industry and I was coaching and I was working with hundreds of people a year, there was something about what I was learning about the the elements of sport that you get leadership, motivation, self-confidence, strength, physical strength, mental strength, friendship, social support. And yet I was working in an industry where you had to convince people that that was enough. You had to convince people that those those elements were important. And so there was this contradiction between what I was learning in the classroom about behavior change and what I was actually experiencing when you're talking face-to-face with that 30-year-old new mother who is like, I'll never be able to be an athlete again. My my life has changed. My body has changed. It's never going to do the things that it did before. Or that athlete who's coming back from an injury and all they've known is being an athlete. And so now someone is telling them, hey, you may not run as fast. You may not jump as high anymore. And having them navigate and wrestle with that new reality was the part of exercise and sports science that I felt was a little nuanced, right? Like the theory and the science tells you that everything is black and white. But when you're working with humans, when you're working with people that are individuals, the science is there, but there's there's an art to coaching and training and, and getting people to be the best version of themselves. Um, so that's the first thing that I would say. The second part of this, and this is kind of the the um, the vision for Optimize Strength, which is my nutrition and fitness coaching company. I transferred, I my very first company was called Coaching Kilos, and that's kind of how I was established. And it was this idea that I'm coaching nutrition and, and strength sports. But nutrition coaching and strength coaching became synonymous with weight loss. Mm. It, it became synonymous with, I'm going to hire a nutrition coach so I can lose weight so that I can medal in my next competition. I want to drop down to the lowest weight category so that I can I can compete in, so that I can be more competitive. And when you think about pound for pound science, if you lose weight and you lift the same amount of weight that you've been lifting, you're probably more competitive out of lower weight class. That's that's how it works. But I what I learned from people by working with people is that they don't always necessarily want to lose weight. That's not always what they want. Their goal is to be competitive. And optimized strength is all about helping people learn how to align all of these moving parts from your nutrition to your training to your mindset because people forget that what they want and what they do sometimes aren't aligned what they think that they want to accomplish and what they're actually willing to do and sacrifice aren't in alignment and their lifestyle we live in seasons and those seasons change and all of those things impact our training 
And all of those things are impacted by our individual differences. And so while the science tells us this is what periodization is, this is what macros are, this is how you should eat for a calorie deficit, this is what you should eat for hypertrophy, the science is there, but you have to consider the nuance of the individual. And I think that's the part that I use my academic career and my research and all the things that I'm doing, but I'm very much boots on the ground working and talking with people because that matters. I have an old weightlifting coach and I won't name names because I think they listen to this podcast and I, I don't want to get an angry call and say that I paraphrased or butchered what they told me way back in the day. But they used to say something like with humans aren't equations. Two plus two does not always equal four, right? So if I give you a training stimulus, I give you nutritional input, I give you a certain amount of rest, that doesn't equal what it should equal all the time. This coach also used to tell me that if he just chopped my head off, that I'd be a much better athlete because my bar path would be better and I'd think less and I'd also go down a weight class. So like, you know, some some old school lessons here. I'm curious, you are known for, but I should ask, do you work mostly with weightlifters? Yes. Yes. Okay. What is specific about weightlifters from a psychological or mentality perspective relative to other sorts of athletes you've seen or worked with in your career? Because I was a competitive weightlifter for years. I was not a particularly good one, uh, which is one reason I started Barbend because I was better about writing about strength sports than actually lifting weights, though I do very much enjoy it. I have my own theories about all the particular ways weightlifters can get a little inside their heads and get a little crazy, even relative to powerlifters or CrossFit athletes. I'm curious if you've noticed anything specifically about what weightlifting does to self-perception and to the mind. Yeah, those are that's great. And I think that we'd have to extend this into like a five-part series for me to fully address it. However, we could we 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 could. We have a lot of digital real estate. I'm just saying. <laughs> sure, sure. I'll start with this. When I compare weightlifting to something like powerlifting. Hmm. Powerlifting is a is a brute strength absolute strength sport, right? And when people mistake weightlifting and powerlifting all the time and they're like, oh, you weightlift? How much do you bench? And I go, mm, two 30-pound dumbbells on a good day. Um, the, the name, the name sh- can, I, can I say, do you agree the name should be switched? We should have like a- they absolutely, yeah. Okay, we should have like a conference and we should all just agree to switch the names, right? Absolutely. Okay. 100%. Thank you. And, <laughs> anyway, please continue. I'm, yeah. it, would, it would decrease the, the mass amount of confusion and explanation that I have to give about my sport. One of the things that I think is different and unique about weightlifting is it is a sport of precision. Mm-hmm. And precision, if you're familiar with biomechanics, lever length, uh, rate of force production, um, those all matter, right? And so you can be good at a weightlifting movement and have different lever lengths and be good in a different way than someone else with those with different physical characteristics, physical attributes. Where I find that some athletes go wrong is they look at body weight class and height and they don't understand how those two things, just those two things can have so much impact on movement, movement patterns, and what might work well for one person 
may not work well for another person. It doesn't mean they're better or worse at weightlifting. It just means that you need to attack it differently. For instance, um, one quote that I I would always (laughs) disagree with is, some athletes can snatch what they must and clean and jerk the rest. That's kind of the, 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 the philosophy going into competition. Snatch what you can and then make it up on the clean and jerk. I'm opposite. I need to snatch every single thing I can and then hope I make a clean and jerk. That doesn't make me any better or worse of a weightlifter. It just means that you need to attack your strategy different. And that's just an example that I give to some of the athletes that I coach is that the way I program for one athlete is going to be different than how I program for another athlete. It doesn't mean that one right is one way is right, one way is wrong. They're just different because they have to be individualized if they're going to be successful. Mm-hmm. So that's one that's one thing that I think athletes kind of get in their head about is is different is bad. And they tend to kind of generalize all weightlifting and look at it as that's the way you have to be a weightlifter. And I don't think that's right. Do you have any examples in mind of elite or well-known weightlifters? Maybe someone listening to this podcast might might know who clearly has had to strategize differently or approach weightlifting and how they approach competition from maybe a slightly different perspective. I have a few examples in my head, but they're, I've been watching weightlifting for way too long to date myself. So these are from like the mid two thousands. So I'm trying to think of something a little more contemporary, (laughs) contemporary. You know, I, I don't know that I'm prepared to call out any particular elite athlete, Mm -hmm. but what I can say is that, for example, I have athletes who in their own right, we'll call them elite because, you know, everyone can call themselves elite. I have an athlete who I've been working with for for many, many years. And when approaching competition, we had a certain way of deloading, right? We had a certain way of tapering, getting ready for the for the big meet. And we realized that that way wasn't working for him. And the way we now have to approach competition is that we have to basically treat the last week of training like it's almost completely a rest week in order for him to maximize his on the platform. And and when we realize that, his performance has changed night and day. Hmm. Um, It's just what his body needed to recover. And it's what we needed to do to strategize on the platform. I have other athletes who, when we're getting up to competition, I need to really lay out exactly how they should be feeling each and every day. And that is what helps them be the best they can be on the platform. Then I have other athletes who say, put it on the bar, I'll lift it. Don't tell me anything. I don't need to, I don't need to know. I don't need to process. I just want to go out there and whatever you tell me to do, that's what I'm going to do. So I think, I think in those ways, people strategize differently. I mean, yeah, some people have to be very, very precise precise in the lead up. Some people, it's just shake and bake. Let's roll. Let's do it. Um, I think it's a really lovely example because deloading across strength sports, powerlifting, weightlifting, even CrossFit at this point, maybe not 10 years ago at CrossFit, but maybe at this point, deloading is, we have certain heuristics and certain coaching heuristics that are kind of built in. And it's assumed you deload a certain way, Mm -hmm. right? Like deload, I've seen... 
I've seen coaches take wonderfully bespoke programs individualized for an athlete, and then they just tack on like a temp, a very templated two or three week deload to the end of that. And they don't modify it for the athlete at all. Um, yeah. Now, sometimes that works, right? But I think that we accept it, it's weird. It's weird to program things so individually and then accept that the deload period is going to be the same for each and every athlete, even when the training stimulus has been so incredibly different varied. So I really appreciate that example. And you're right. Every athlete can be elite in their own right. That makes me feel a little bit better. Maybe I'll stop calling myself a bad weightlifter and say that I was elite by a certain definition. One thing I want to talk about a little bit here is you host a podcast as well. Your podcast has a slightly different focus than the barbend podcast. I'd say you have more focus, which I really appreciate. Sometimes I wish I had more focus. And I'm I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about it and a little bit about what it has what it's taught you as a coach, as a teacher, as someone who in multiple ways studies and practices in in this realm of physical culture. Yeah, absolutely. My baby, strengthen the details. I'll tell you, and I this is kind of well known at this point, but I started strength in the details because I am an extreme introvert. I panic when I have to get up and speak to people and talk to people and share knowledge. I spent all of this time in school learning and and coaching and training. And then you ask me a question in front of people, and I'm like, I you want me to talk. So I started strengthening the details as a way for me to slowly and gradually get out of my own comfort zone. And I would say that by far, that is one of my biggest takeaways is that I learned how to really open up and communicate with all types of people from all types of backgrounds. And I've learned a lot through that podcast. It's allowed me to be a little less of an introvert because I'm still very much an introvert. The other thing that the strength of the details has done is it's allowed me to communicate the knowledge that, you know, you learn in the textbooks, it's very heavy science, but it's allowed me to communicate that science in a way that I think weightlifters and strength athletes will be able to understand. And it was very, very important that that message wasn't harping on reps and sets, right? We all we all can talk about periodization and going heavy and deloading and when you should take a deload week and when you should max out max out every day just in case anyone was was lear- was uh, wondering we max out. She's kidding. She's kidding. I promise. I promise. I I, I promise. I just want to warn folks because she you can't see her. T- she's being sarcastic. I just want to anyway. Very very sarcastic. Um, I didn't want to get into that debate anymore because I feel like well, when you get into strength sports, that's the conversation. Mm-hmm. But in my practice as a coach, I realized that I wasn't coaching reps and sets in in practice, in training. I wasn't coaching a five by five versus a three by three. I was coaching mental strength. I was coaching what to do after a miss. I was coaching how everything that you do for eight hours at work, at school, at home, was going to impact your training. And I felt like those were things that people didn't really understand. Athletes would come in and they're just like, I have a one rep max today and I can barely hit 80%. The first thing I'll say is, did you sleep last night? Oh man, I had a big term paper and I I I only slept four hours. Oh, okay, athlete. Well, that has something to do with what's happening right now. 
I had an athlete who was going through a big breakup and just couldn't understand for two weeks why her training just felt like she was folding into a million pieces. And I go, those stressors are coming into your training. And thank you for sharing it with me after two weeks, athlete. But this is how we're going to address it. This is how we're going to modify that program so that you can still be successful in the gym. And those are the conversations that I think that we need to have more of with with our athletes and with coaches coming into this industry that it's it's not just about reps and sets and and a program. You, You snatch, you clean and jerk at some point. There's not much creativity that you can do with a program where you snatch and you clean and jerk. There are so many other things that you can do to optimize that strength and to build performance and build that competitive nature. And that's what strength in the details is. I appreciate you sharing that. I, th- not to harp on things that my coach used to tell me 15 years ago, but one of the things was I was, I was in college at the time and the college lifestyle is not necessarily conducive to recovery all the time. And my coach would see it on me sometimes, you know, every occasionally, and he'd say, cool, it's it's dumbbell day. And what that meant was I went over by the dumbbell rack and I did incline dumbbell bench press and I did rows and I did lunges and I did like core work, right? Because he's like, you're not in any capacity, you're not in any mental state to or neurological state to do fast movements with the barbell. Mm-hmm. So go go make yourself stronger and do a bunch of accessory work. And he's like, I promise you won't get worse at weightlifting, right? So let's use this time in a way that like is a little less neurologically taxing and you don't have to focus quite as much because you can't and you're going to hurt yourself. Yeah. And and I super appreciate that lesson. And today, like as someone who's, who's, who still trains, I train kettlebell sport. There are days when it's like, oh, clean and jerks aren't happening today. I don't need speed today. I'm going to go focus this elsewhere, right? I'm going to make something out of this training, even if it's not what I thought it was going to be a week before. So I really appreciate that lesson. I think we've talked about it in a few different forms here. I would be remiss if I didn't ask where can folks follow along with strength in the details and where can they follow along with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I am very active on Instagram. My personal handle is Anaja Newsom PhD, my first last name, PhD. I am on Instagram with strength in the details at strength in the details as well. Uh, my website is optimizestrength.co, and that's where you can also find all of my blog posts and uh, podcasts as well. And that's where you can contact me with any questions about coaching, strategy, anything like that. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing a bit about your journey. I'm sure we could do that five-part series. I'm, that's definitely not out of the... I mean, I might hit you up about that. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing about your work, your journey, and some some lessons on the mentality of strength sports that we don't always get into on this podcast. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me.